Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey, everyone. I'm Megan Teets, and this is Sorta Awesome. Welcome to the show that is all about uncovering the awesome in the everyday. Each week, my co-hosts and I give our favorite tips, share our best stories, and confide our true confessions as we invite you to join us in the pursuit of awesome. This is episode 80 of the show, and I'm so delighted to be joined this week by my dear friend and lovely co-host, Rebecca Hoffer of SimplyRebecca.com. Now, we know it is December, and everything is all holly and all jolly right now, but it was really important to Rebecca and I to push pause on the glitter of the season for just a minute this week, because we want to make some space to talk about grief. Now, we know that in an audience as big and diverse as you awesomes are, there are certainly people who, as much as they love the holidays, are also struggling a bit this time of year because of the sadness of grief. So we're going to talk through some of our own personal histories with loss. We're going to talk about practical ways to help someone in your life experiencing grief. And then later in the show, we'll hear from a couple of experts about healthy ways to cope with grief and loss during the holiday season. We're going to get to all of that in just a moment. But first, let's go ahead and start the show the way we always do with Awesome of the Week. Rebecca, what do you have for us this week? Megan, Awesomes, I am super excited about my Awesome of the Week this time. It is a book that just came out in November of this year. It is called How to Manage Your Home Without Losing Your Mind. The subtitle is Dealing with Your House's Dirty Little Secrets, and it's by Dana White, who Yay. is the creator of the blog and podcast, both called A Slob Comes Clean. That's right, and a guest of Sorta Awesome, too, as well. Yes, a Sorta Awesome alum guest, for sure. And I just am so impressed with this book. <laughs> yes, I know you're a longtime fan of Dana's, so I am so excited to hear your thoughts on her book. Most definitely. So you know that comforting feeling when somebody strokes your head and talks to you in a soft voice and says, there, there, it's okay. Yes, definitely. Uh -huh. <laughs> That's what this book has been like for me. <laughs> so Dana gives great practical advice on how to clean and declutter your home. But the most important part for me is how comforting it is to feel like someone is validating all of the crazy ways that my brain thinks about cleaning. <laughs> I love it. Yes, yes, yes. So I read the super popular book, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up by Marie Kondo. Mm -hmm. And all throughout that book, I was like, okay, so these are some great points. But honey child, my brain does not think that way. <laughs> when you are suggesting that I take my shampoo and conditioner out of my shower and dry it off and store it someplace else every single time, I mean we are not cut from the same cloth. <laughs> right, right, right. That's not going to be a reality in your life is what you're saying. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> but Dana and I, I mean, there's like a connection there. Like, I get it. She is somebody who struggles and it does not come naturally. And I just always feel as I'm reading throughout this book that she is in my head. And so I have um, a little quote that I'd like to read as an example of this. So she says, I love a good project. I love the planning phase, the preparation phase, the creation phase, and the finishing phase. As a project lover, I like to work hard and step away, living the rest of my life with the memory of how awesome I was in that moment. 
I like to finish <laughs> and move on. But housework isn't a project. It has no end. That's and then right. later in the book, she talks about how this applies to her philosophy of having one day dedicated to doing laundry versus the very popular do a load a day method of conquering your laundry, mm-hmm. which I have never been able to connect with. And this is what she says about it. Laundry day is worth my time because there's such a thing as being done with laundry, contrary to what the internet memes and commiserating housewives claim. (laughs) Laundry day lets me make laundry a project. It gives this never-ending task a beginning, a middle, and an end, and it lets me be done completely finished for six days in a row. Wow. (laughs) Amen. That spoke to me. That's good. That's good. Now, I do like a load of laundry a day. That's my preference. But I can see the appeal. I'm totally tracking with what she's saying about projects. I totally get that part. And this is just one example of many where I was reading through the book and being like, oh, my word, that is that is how my brain works. That is why these other suggestions for how to keep my house under control are not working for me. And she also goes on to have tons of really good practical advice, too. um, But I do need to stress and Dana stresses this very clearly at the beginning of her book, that this book is not for everybody. So I would say, you know, this book is not for people who think a book on cleaning and decluttering sounds like fun. You know, (laughs) it is for people who want to vomit at the thought of reading a house management book. (laughs) Right, right. Okay. So that's my awesome of the week. How to Manage Your Home Without Losing Your Mind by Dana White. I highly recommend it. That's so great. I'm so glad that was your awesome of the week. When Dana came on Sorta Awesome, it was one of our most popular guest co-hosted episodes. I think people were just clamoring to hear some insight from her. And so many people do connect with her philosophy. So I'm so glad you're loving it. That's great. So what do you have for us this week? Well, mine is a book of sorts in that it has a hard cover on it, uh, but it's not for reading. It's for writing in. It's my brand new planner. I'm actually holding it in my hands so I can remember all of the things that I wanted to say about it. So I mentioned last week in the Hangout group that I was impatiently stalking my mail carrier waiting for this delivery because I had been looking forward to getting this planner for a couple of weeks. So it's a brand new planner. It's by a company called Nomadic. And I had never heard of the Nomadic planner before, although I mentioned it to a friend and she was like, oh yeah, I've seen a ton of pins about that on Pinterest. I'm not on Pinterest enough to be into the loop of like what's new in planners and stuff. So um, apparently That's their name- a loop that I am never part of. <laughs> <laughs> Did you hear what my awesome of the week was this yes, week? Yes. We got something for everybody this time around. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Well, I actually heard about this planner through a Facebook ad. So all of you people who work in social media marketing and you're wondering if Facebook ads ever actually work, this worked for me. I saw a Facebook ad about it. I was like, huh, that's interesting. Click through and bought it. So it is a beautiful blend of two things that I love when it comes to organizing my life. First of all, it is a planner, but it also blends in the concept of bullet journaling. Now, I talked about how much I was loving bullet journaling way, way, way back, Rebecca, on episode 10 of Sorta Awesome, one of our very first episodes. I was talking about how much I loved bullet journaling because it worked with my brain, the way my brain thinks about getting projects done, for example, Um, and that I love to keep to-do lists. And that I love to-do lists so much that I would have like 10 different to-do lists going on different like scraps of paper, like envelopes and um, napkins and just, you know, stuff that spread all throughout the house. And with bullet journaling, I was like, well, I can put all of the lists together in one place. Nothing gets lost. And I also loved the component of bullet journaling that allowed you to have your like daily checkmark lists because I am somebody who I love making that checkmark on a list so much that if, if I go back to my list and I have done something that wasn't on my list. I'll write it on my list so oh, I can yeah. check it off. Totally. You gotta do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, bullet journaling worked great for me for, for several months. However, something a problem I kept kind of bumping into is as an intuitive type, I tend to see the world in a very big picture way. And I really needed something that would allow me to see my weeks and my months in a more big picture way than the original concept of bullet journaling does. Now, I know lots of 
people who take their bullet journals and they'll write into their bullet journal, like they'll create weekly layouts, weekly spreads, so that it essentially mirrors what a planner would look like, but it's very personalized. And I tried that. I just had a really hard time keeping up with that. So I found this planner and it is a wonderful blend in that the first two thirds of the book are really set up like a traditional planner. So it will start with a blank calendar for a monthly spread and and they're not pre-filled in. So I got this at the beginning of December. So I just started right in December, filled out my month um, with all of the important dates and all of the calendar events for December. And then following the monthly spread, it has five weeks of blank weekly spreads. So very traditional setup in that way. I love that in the weekly spreads, it actually gives you an hourly look at your day, like hour to hour. So I like that. It If you're the kind of person who has like a lot of goals that you're really trying to work on daily, weekly, monthly, it has places to track your goals and how you're breaking those down into bite-sized pieces. So it's really great in that sense. Where the bullet journaling part comes in is the last third of the book then is just blank pages. Some of them are lined, some are blank. And so I can still keep all of my running lists that I was keeping in my bullet journal, books I want to read, TV shows I want to check out, um, gift lists. Uh, I have three kids who have birthday parties after the beginning of the year. So I always, this time of year, I start making ideas for birthdays, parties and birthday gift lists and stuff. I have all of that tucked away, bullet journal style, and it's all together in one planner book from Nomadic. That's so, nice. Yeah, it's working out. I mean, I just got it. I got it a couple of weeks ago. So far, I'm really loving it. Also, a lot of people who do the bullet journaling are very artistic, creative souls. They like to get the colored pens and do all of the beautiful lettering and put in the washi tape and get really creative with it. I experimented with that. I, my personality is I get so distracted with that, that I lose track of the thing of which is keeping, you know, keeping track of the tasks in my life. (laughs) So a while back, I converted to a much simpler system. I only use black Sharpie pens now in my planner. I just feel like it's just very, like very pleasing to the eye, very simple aesthetic to look at. And this journal is set up so that um, when it's closed with the elastic around um, around the, the covers of it, you can just slip your pen in the top and it holds it all in place. So yeah, I'm really digging it. I really am. You know, I'm relating to so much of what you're saying. And again, questioning why I haven't started a bullet journal myself, because it really does seem to fit with me and my scattered brainness. So from time to time, I also am a kind of a geeky fan over Sharpie pens. (laughs) Yes, I love a Sharpie pen. I love them. I get so annoyed when my kids take mine. I'm like, these are my pens. (laughs) You cannot have them. So oh, man, I love it. Okay, well, that's fantastic. Two yeah. things that you need combined into one. Why aren't more companies making that? I mean, that's honestly. Brilliant. Yeah, and I think both of these awesomes of the week are great for people who are kind of already starting to think about new year and a new take on things. So hopefully people will find that helpful. Well, like I said at the top of the show, this episode is a little bit of a departure for us, um, especially for Rebecca and I. Rebecca and I have done some really silly shows in the past that involved a lot of laughing. This is going to be on the other end of the spectrum, but it was really important to both of us to work in this show sometime during this holiday season. We know that there are many people who listen to our show, many women especially, who will identify with some of these topics of loss and grief that we're going to talk about. And the reason we wanted to do it during the holiday season, again, we know that all kinds of wonderful, happy, memory-making celebrations are happening, and we could have easily talked about some of that stuff, but we felt like it was important to address a not so awesome part of life, but a very big part of life. And that is how to work through grief and loss, really during any season, how we can best be awesome to the people in our lives who are going through a season of grief or loss. And then we also wanted to speak specifically to what that looks like in the holiday season. And we'll get to that later in the show. But Rebecca, I know that the timing on this is particularly poignant and significant for you, as here we are um, in the in the first parts of December, based on your own personal story of loss. 
That's right. The week that this episode is released is actually the same week, exactly one year later, that I lost a baby due to miscarriage last December. That's right. So it's a very raw time for me right now. And preparing for this has been emotional. But yeah, last December, and I shared a little bit about this story too, when I had announced my pregnancy earlier this summer. Um, But yeah, last December, you know, my husband and I have been trying to get pregnant. We were very thrilled that we were pregnant, but yet I had this feeling like this just is not quite right. Like something isn't right. And I actually had the complete lack of pregnancy symptoms, which was quite alarming to me. And then we did end up um, losing that baby at six weeks, um, which is You know, I feel really fortunate in some ways. You know, I think that people can sometimes look at their bad days and look at their grief and look at their story and be like, well, but I don't have it as bad as that. You know, Um, at least I'm not going through X, Y, or Z. Um, And I kind of did some of that for myself too. It's like, well, you know, thank goodness I, I was earlier on and I didn't have to go to the hospital. Or thank goodness... You know, I didn't have to have any kind of procedure and the baby passed naturally or, you know, just all these different things. But the reality is, is that hard is just hard, no matter what your story is. Mm -hmm. And as many silver linings as I can find in my tragic story of loss and miscarriage, it still is just my own tragic story that um, shook me to the core last December. I found myself just going through the motions. You know, it's it's silly, but at one point, the, the day that my miscarriage started, I even remember thinking to myself, well, thank goodness it's not, it's not Christmas. <laughs> but newsflash, the entire month of December is Christmas. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I quickly realized, even though this is not happening on Christmas Eve or on Christmas Day, this is still really going to be rocking my December, my Christmas, my celebrations. I was just going through the motions, but yet I had already I had already ordered my Christmas cards, but they weren't sent out yet. And I was left feeling like, oh, I don't have the energy to cope with any of this. Um, a lot of my Christmas gifts were already bought, but I had not wrapped them yet. Um, it was just, I found myself just trying to put one foot in front of the other and continue on as best as I could for the sake of my children. But it was, it was a really hard time when we got together with my husband's family for Christmas that year. That was the first time that we had all been together. And Mm -hmm. I remember sitting there with everybody around and just feeling like this is going to come up. When is this going to come up? Mm -hmm. And just like feeling the weight of us all being together and me seeing some of them for the first time and just Mm -hmm. like, I just felt like almost like I couldn't breathe. So, and, and I know that my story is just one version, you know, but I, I've also had really close friends who have experienced loss of their children and their infants. Nate and I, in the early years of our marriage, we attended four funerals of babies or children. And it was just, it's, it's just too much. It's just heartbreaking. You it know? is. Yeah. And you see those friends going through it and you just think, oh, there can't be anything else worse in the world than losing your child. And it just, yeah, there's just no words for it. Mm. And it's not something that just goes away. Right. Right. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I was just thinking as you were talking, we are kind of in that middle spot of life where we have friends who are both losing pregnancies, losing children, but also losing parents. It's definitely a reality of life, the one that's difficult to talk about for obvious reasons. And so sometimes it's hard to be able to sit down and have a real conversation about it. Um, we certainly have had friends who have gone through the the losses that you kind of touched on, miscarriage, um, stillbirth. One of my dearest, closest friends since college struggled through um, the uh, very real grief of infertility. I certainly have had friends who have gone through the death of a dream, that loss of either, you know, getting to a certain age of life and beginning to realize I'm 
I'm not actually ever going to get married. I'd always dreamed that I would be married someday and kind of confronting that, that there's grief in losing that dream. And maybe even something like landing the dream job that you've been, you know, going to school for and working towards and dreaming of, and then you, you put yourself on the job market and that job just doesn't come. That's a very specific kind of grief and a very sense, a very real sense of loss as well. So um, we're going to be talking about some of our specific personal stories, but we want to be sure to recognize that grief and loss is such an all-encompassing thing to any moment or um, season of loss in your life. For us, that has been specific in a couple of ways. My father-in-law, Kyle's dad, passed away very suddenly um, at the end of June of 2013. Now, I know some people have complicated relationships with their in-laws, <laughs> to say it nicely. <laughs> Um, I never have. Kyle and I started dating my freshman year of college. And during a lot of the time that we were dating and in our early married years, my parents lived far away from us. And so Kyle's parents immediately just like took me in as one of their children. I was deeply, deeply close with uh, both my mother-in-law. I still am close with my mother-in-law. Very, very close with my father-in-law. And I do, I actually have a really complicated relationship with my own dad. And so in a lot of ways, Kyle's dad had really been a very strong, consistent, um, very nurturing father figure for me for a long time. So I think that sometimes, you know, when you are talking about the loss of a parent figure in your life, if it's not somebody who is your direct biological parent, sometimes it's like you really want to qualify and be like, but we were really close. (laughs) And so sometimes I find myself doing that. But truly, I was very close to him. But Kyle was definitely very close to his father. He was, um, they were close enough that you would say best friends. Um, My father-in-law was the best man in our wedding. And so for him to, and, and there was no, there was no illness, nothing. He just died suddenly, um, very unexpectedly. And so there was the shock of it all to work through. And I think that that shock lasted a lot longer than I would have ever realized. In fact, in the day and days following, even the weeks following, I found that I like didn't even cry very much. And I was like, this is so weird. This was one of the most important people in my life. And then to just feel like I'd just wasn't even crying. And especially for me, a crier was just a very strange um, sensation. But I think just the shock of it lasted for a long time. And, you know, we're only three and a half-ish years out. And I think that there's still moments where that grief just kind of comes to the surface. It's almost like the further out from the actual moment of loss, especially an unexpected loss like that, I think it kind of comes in waves where you might be totally fine. And then just like a wave of grief will just come up sometimes out of the blue. So that is a very real sense of loss, um, particularly speaking to the idea of death um, that we've experienced. Another one, one that I very, very rarely talk about because it's very sensitive and it's not exactly my story to tell, and that is the grief of my parents' divorce. So my parents um, divorced in 2006 after 32 years of marriage. My parents had never had what one might call a super healthy marriage. (laughs) And so there had been lots of, um, you know, red flags along the way and actually lots of signs kind of pointing towards a divorce as I grew up. Um, And those certainly didn't get any better as I moved into adulthood. And I just, I want to just note that I want to be sensitive to my parents, to their privacy. So I'm not going to go into all of the details of it. But even though the divorce actually occurred in 2006, for a couple of years, like two years leading up to it, things were in a constant state of crisis. And the, the question of whether or not to divorce was always on the table. It became final in um, in 2006. And, you know, Rebecca, you were talking about with your miscarriage, that that really completely rocked your sense of your world. And, you know, just it, it impacted lots of different parts of your life. I, I truly felt the same way. I was 29 at the time that my parents divorced. And it was it was surreal in some ways, because I discovered that there's not just a ton of resources out there for adult children whose parents are divorcing. Now, obviously, there's lots for kids, and that's very important. 
But I found that I was having a lot of the same feelings that I had always kind of heard um, or read that children um, who are in the midst of their childhood when their parents divorce might experience. For example, I deeply and truly felt like if I had just prayed more, or if I had just been a better encouragement, that there was something that I could have done to stop them from inevitably from from splitting up. And so, um, again, I was 29. Up until that point in my life, I had never experienced something as devastating as my parents divorcing. And and it was a it was the first really true test of my. Um, my faith, my spiritual faith, because again, I just had prayed and prayed. And then for a couple of years leading up to it, I just was praying and begging God to please, 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 you know, heal their hearts and heal their marriage and just try to pray all of the right things. And then they divorced anyway. And it was the first time in my life, in my spiritual walk, that I felt so deeply angry and really betrayed by God. I was, you know, I'd go to scripture and be like, it says right here that you hate divorce. How could you not intervene in my parents' lives? You hate divorce. How could you let this happen? And in the end, a couple of things. First of all, it was a very refining time for my faith. I learned what it looked like to be angry with God and to still continue to practice my faith, which was something I had never had to, you know, walk through before. Um, Also in the end, This is an unusual thing to talk about when we talk about divorce, but a couple of years later, my parents remarried each other, (laughs) which doesn't often happen. Um, And they are are still married to this day and and still working towards building um, a healthier version of marriage between the two of them. And so... That's an unusual. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm like having like this light bulb moment over here because when you told me that you were going to be talking about your parents' divorce in this episode, I was like, okay, that's perfect. But in the back of my mind, I was thinking, I guess I didn't realize that they were divorced. <laughs> right, right, right. And now it's like, oh, well, this is why I was so yes. confused. <laughs> Again, I don't talk about it publicly really a lot because there's a lot of sensitive issues and, involved there. And understandably. Right, right. <laughs> um, and so that's that's an interesting side note to, to my parents' story. I do want to say, though, that even though they are remarried now, um, the echoes of their divorce and the things that led up to it certainly still play out for them. But and for me, too, though, even though they're remarried and you could say that that story had a happy ending, I still can go back to that place in my mind and vividly remember how completely brokenhearted, devastated, just sitting on the couch next to Kyle and just sobbing, just sobbing my heart out because I was so completely devastated over this. So I guess I wanted to share that part of the story too, because sometimes when we're talking about a grief or a loss that's that doesn't have to do with death, with the finality of death, um, sometimes, like, for example, a person might struggle with infertility for years, and then um, then they end up having children either biologically or through adoption. I think that there's still nothing that can erase the grief and pain of those years of struggling with infertility. The same for me, I would not say that my parents' eventual reconciliation would ever erase the true depth of pain that my siblings and I felt during that time. So, as we talk about that, it's it kind of leads to the question of, well, if if I haven't experienced loss like this, or even if I have, but I know somebody that I love, that I care about, or a friend or a neighbor is going through loss in this way, how can I, in the midst of something this heartbreaking, how can I be there for them? That's something that I think is also human nature, is we want to step in and try to do something to comfort people who are experiencing a loss. Rebecca, you had some ideas. I think one of the things that we all want to do by nature, and we actually have a lot of conversations about this in our sort of awesome hangout group, is how can we send a gift, something meaningful, something thoughtful that we can give to a person going through a season of loss, whatever it may be, to let them know that we're thinking of them, that we, you know, we want to give them something that they could kind of hang on to, something tangible to express our comfort for them in that moment. And Rebecca, I know you had some really great ideas on that. Yeah. So the first and probably 
the one that everybody immediately goes to is the idea of sending a card. And for myself, I have to say that the few cards that I received um, during my time of miscarriage meant so much to me. I even received a card from my OBGYN, and I can't tell you how much that meant to me. And I'm like, well, this is this is just protocol. I'm, I'm sure they do this all the time, but yet it really, really spoke to me. And my advice on this uh, is to, when you're sending a card for a time of loss, especially if it is, you know, child or pregnancy loss, make sure that you're addressing it to the husband and the wife, mm. if that applies. Very um, true. You know, I, I have a girlfriend who experienced um, a stillbirth, and that was one of her big things was that a lot of the cards that she received at the beginning were always addressed to both her and her husband, but then later on, most of the cards that they received were only addressed to her, and in a way that just was kind of a little bit of salt in the wound for them, because he also has lost this child. And mm. I think as women, it's easy for us to reach out woman to woman mm-hmm. and want to provide that extra comfort, but it's important that we don't forget the husbands in the, in the midst of all of this. Um, some other gift ideas would be customized jewelry with the, the name of the person who has passed or with birthstones in it, um, a Christmas ornament, something that they can, you can either make it homemade or find a lot of options on Etsy, but just something as a way to like memorialize them, especially during this um, difficult time or perhaps a tree or another perennial, something that they can plant in honor of the person who is gone. And then I don't know if you've seen this, Megan, but there is this type of photography where people are using Photoshop or whatnot to add in a shadowed silhouette of somebody who they have lost into their family portrait. And so a gift certificate to a photographer who can do that would just be fantastic. So like I said, I have friends who who have lost children and recently they had pictures taken with the whole family, kind of their backs turned and they're holding hands together and the mom's hand is reaching out to this shadow of this little, little silhouetted boy. And it's just... That's so powerful. Isn't it? It's beautiful, really. So a gift certificate to a photographer who can do that. Um, this one is really specific to infant loss or um, miscarriage, but it would be a weighted pillow or perhaps teddy bear. Um, I actually made one of these for my girlfriend who had a stillbirth that I took note of the weight of her baby when he was born. And then I made a pillow. I had quilted the top and I filled it with the exact amount of ounces that he weighed so that if she felt led, if it was important to her, she could hold that and essentially be holding and remembering the weight of that child that she never was able to hold again. Um, That's I beautiful. think there, there are services out there um, that you could Google that and look for something that would offer something like that if you don't have the ability or desire to make one yourself. And then I found some really really good options at a website called laurelbox.com. And the ones that stood out to me was a birthday candle. It's a jarred candle and it comes with a little saying on it that says, may the angel sing to you the most joyous chorus of happy birthday today. And giving that as a gift to somebody on the anniversary of the birthday of the person who they have lost. I just think that is just such a beautiful sentiment to have on that candle. And the other one is a product that they called Glisten Where They Rest. And it is a burlap bag that is filled with glitter. And the idea is to sprinkle it on the grave site um, for the person that you lost. And on their website, they describe it as spread this glitter at the place where your loved one rests. The sprinkled glitter will continue to shine and sparkle for all to know someone deeply loved rests here. And that option comes in pink, blue, and also a champagne color. Um, And we, of course, will 
link to these options at laurelbox.com on our show notes, as well as some of the other things that I've mentioned. Those are so beautiful. I love all of those. I think that a huge part of grief for the people who, particularly in the case of death, the people who are left behind is this thing of like, they want the person they've lost to be remembered. You know, there's this like fear that this person, whether, you know, anything from a miscarriage on up to losing a parent or a grandparent, this idea that if they're not here on this planet, that eventually people will will forget. And so I think all of those are beautiful ways, like you said, to memorialize. And I think it's actually really awesome too. And I know that's not a word we talk about a lot with grief, but I think it's awesome that people are so creative and so thoughtful in coming up with some of these ideas, because some of us, particularly like when you're right in the midst of it, you might be like, I want to give them something, but I don't know what. Well, somebody has already, their creative energy has already gone forth into the world and created some of these things, which I think is pretty cool. Yes, I totally agree with what you're saying, Megan, that people just want their loved ones to be remembered and how meaningful that is. But also there is a lot of need, physical need sometimes that comes up when somebody is experiencing something tragic in their life, be it um, death or illness, injury. And there are a lot of practical ways that we can offer our support and services to those people as well. So what do you have for us with that? Well, I wanted to say first, before I kind of get into this practical list, One thing that was super helpful that I read after Kyle's father passed away was a blog post talking about a woman had lost her father suddenly, and she talked about how physically exhausting the process of grief can be. You know, you were talking about like last December that you just did not even have the energy to send out Christmas cards in the midst of your grief over the loss of that baby. And I think that is so true because grief is an energy zapper on all of our systems. So even though you may not be, you may, whatever the loss is in your life, you may be past the point of crying and um, feeling the big emotions of it. But grief is almost like, um, like when it like a low level energy, energy drain, particularly in the first weeks, months, and sometimes even a full year after that moment of loss, your body is just taking so much energy mentally and physically to work through like to literally put one foot in front of the other in the face of a really big loss. And so I think it's so important if you want to provide practical help for somebody who has experienced a loss of any kind, or even like you said, in in a moment of tragedy or um, illness, extended illness, something like that, to recognize how important the, the more service oriented things that are that we can do for people, because as somebody who's going through a season of grief or loss, they just don't have the physical energy to do the things that they would normally do. Now, Our culture is really set up to understand this when it comes to meals, right? So when when we hear of a loss happening, often the first thing that we do is organize a meal train. And there are plenty of websites now that, you know, tons out there that you can use to organize meals, make them really specific for the people that you're bringing meals to. If there's allergies or food preferences, those things can all be included in a meal train. We definitely think of that. Um, Yard work can be a huge one. In fact, after Kyle's dad passed away, a group of friends of mine um, kind of put together a collection of money and they, they on their own contacted a yard service company here in Oklahoma City and made all the arrangements for someone to come in the following weeks and take care of yard work so that Kyle didn't even have to think about that. Um, Other practical things, going out and picking up groceries. Dealing with grief can be so overwhelming that even thinking about going into a grocery store and picking up the staples can be really difficult. So saying to someone, make a list, what are you out of? Put a list together and I will go and get this and you don't even have to think about it. Helping with children is huge, no matter what the loss is. If there are children, young children, you know, even up to teenagers who are around offering to step in and take the kids to go do something, get them out of the house, let them do something that's fun can be enormously helpful as well. Then there's like the super practical things that uh, every household needs, like 
toilet paper. Don't even ask if they need it or not. Just go pick up a big old bag of toilet paper and maybe a three pack of box of Kleenex and drop that off because that's just like one of those things that you're just like, you're not, you're not even paying attention to the details of life when you're working through. Well, and especially if they are going to be hosting family or there's yes. going to be a lot of people in and out of their home around the time of the funeral services, Yes, then it's a real legitimate need. Yes. Well, in fact, too, I was going to add that a church that we used to go to in the past, when there was a loss of some kind in the family, they would go and deliver, instead of food, they, the church itself would just deliver a huge basket of paper goods, paper plates, um, cups, plastic silverware, all of the things that you would need for your own family. And then, like you said, because there are going to be other family members, other guests coming through the house, nobody wants to think about loading and unloading the dishwasher. So just stock them up on all kinds of paper goods as well. So those are some of the practical things that we thought of. I'm sure that you all have other suggestions that you could add to this list of both practical gifts as well as beautiful memorial gifts for people who are going through a season of grief and loss. Beyond showing up for a person, practically speaking, as friends and loved ones who are kind of walking through loss with somebody else, we want to be able to offer them emotional support. And this is where it gets a little tricky for people because it's one thing to show up with a casserole and a bag of toilet paper. <laughs> but to be able to sit with somebody who's in the midst of a crisis moment or in the midst of a deep loss, it's hard because number one, we're not really equipped to know what to say. And when somebody is going through a loss that's really significant, it can feel like overwhelming to even know what to say. And so sometimes we don't say anything uh, because we don't know what to say, or we don't want to say, accidentally say the wrong thing. We don't want to accidentally cause somebody extra hurt. And, you know, I think people sometimes kind of overcorrect on this because they might say, you know, they might think, well, they're not going to be comfortable talking about this, where the reality is a lot of times either in the newness of grief or even on down the road, sometimes they really do want to talk about a person that they've lost or um, a, a divorce that has occurred. They might want to talk about, you know, some of the things that have happened since then, or maybe some of the happy memories from early in the marriage. So it's hard to know how to make space to provide that emotional support. One thing that I wanted to pass along to you all is something that I learned from a very dear friend of mine, a woman I have considered a mentor for over 10 years. Her name's Karen. She's in our awesome hangout community now, but I have been friends with her in the online context going all the way back to our birth club days, like back to 2004. Karen is a very wise woman and she is a longtime wife of a an Episcopal priest. So dealing with the realities of life and death have been very much something that have been a part of her life for a long time. And something I've seen Karen say to people over and over in the midst of all kinds of loss is the simple phrase, it shouldn't be this way. And I mm -hmm. think that that really speaks to the heart of, uh, of the angst of grief. I remember both after my parents' divorce and then after Kyle's dad died, I remember deeply just being so upset because everything felt wrong. The first Thanksgiving after Kyle's dad passed away, like we could just hardly get through it. We were all just emotional wrecks because it just felt wrong to have Thanksgiving without him being there. But so if you're not sure what else to say and you can't, you, you, the pressure of trying to say the exact right thing feels like too much. I think that's such a great go-to phrase because it really speaks to that idea of loss. It shouldn't be this way. Even when the loss is kind of expected, for example, at the end of a long illness, I think it's still comforting because there's something in us that just, you know, as people who are alive, it's hard to navigate the reality of death or it's hard to navigate the idea that a dream is just not going to come true. It's not going to happen. It shouldn't be this way, says a lot. Um, I know you had some ideas too, Rebecca, on what you kind of wanted to add to this emotional support part of helping someone get through grief. Right. I think what you said about acknowledging the grief or the loss is so very, very important. And as you said, people don't, they don't know what to say. And so sometimes they choose not to say anything. And I can say from my personal experience that I have people in my life who have never acknowledged the fact that I had a miscarriage last year, who 
I know know about it. <laughs> and that that just doesn't feel good and that that feels icky. And, you know, there's also this, I've heard people say, well, but I don't want to upset them. Well, they're already upset. And I see it almost as if for myself, even there were times and still are times where I'm trying to hold it all together and I'm trying to like stuff it in. And then when somebody says to me, Hey, Rebecca, are, like, are you really okay with this? How, how are you doing? Um, how have you been feeling about this? It's almost like a release valve has gone off and I can just uh, let it out. And it validates that I have been maybe struggling with something. Um, so I would say that not saying anything is not the answer and that people do want to hear you say something, even if it's just, I'm so sorry for your loss. Um, And I would say too that offering to share your own experiences with whatever kind of loss or grief that the person is is coping with can be helpful. Uh, For myself, I really did appreciate hearing from friends of mine who had lost a child through miscarriage what their experience was like. I was able to relate to their stories, um, not every moment, but it was helpful yet it's also important to you know maybe do that when asked and don't make it don't make it all about you right my, my <laughs> at my grandmother's funeral i had multiple people kind of complain to me about things that were happening in their lives and like spilling their guts to me about things and i'm like you're at my grandma's funeral why are right. you telling me this yeah. but you know people get nervous you know yes. and they don't know what to say right um, so it is, it is hard. So my big takeaway that if you just remember, I mean, I love Megan's phrase that she said, um, it's not supposed to be this way. But uh, the other big thing I would say to remember is be very careful when you are talking about God's role in all of this. Mm, definitely. I so completely related to what you were saying about your crisis of faith that happened after your parents' divorce. Um, my friends lost their five-year-old son to cancer, whom we had been praying and praying and praying for. And then not even a year later, um, my other set of friends had their stillbirth. And I also was so angry like why like god says he hears our prayers god will answer our prayers why didn't these healings happen what i it took me several years to work through that and to kind of come to grips and i i was very very angry at god and a huge blessing in all of this is that i somehow found a way to work through that anger before I had my miscarriage last year, mm, right. um, which I consider a huge blessing um, because, <laughs> again, people will say things. You know, you might be tempted to say, you know, God has a plan or God needed another angel. Um, I actually had um, somebody say to me, the great physician has intervened and we can trust his judgment. Mm-hmm. And I immediately got up left the room and just bawled my eyes out. Right, right. And I I had enough maturity about me, I think, to try to have grace that I knew that from walking with my friends through their grief, that it sometimes feels impossible to know what to say and that people do say stupid things and they, they don't mean for it to be hurtful. They don't hear it the way that you hear it. And so I was trying to have grace even in that moment but i was like that's like one of the worst things you could say to me that god did this to me Mm, right that god took this baby from me and i i you know it's hard because the we do hear in the bible you know god does have a plan and you know um he he knows all of your comings and goings it's there's this whole theology that, you know, God knows everything that's going to happen to us. Well, I, I I can't wrap my brain around that when it comes to any type of serious grief 
or loss? Because how do you how, how do you still choose to love God and trust God when you feel that way? So the, my theology might be completely off, but my philosophy about all of this is that God did not take my baby last December, and instead, God was crying with me. And, you know, God created this world to be this beautiful, perfect, happy place. And then we as humans kind of messed it up, right? And that's how we have things like awful things like war and cancer and, you know, serious injuries and fatal car accidents. And there's all of this muck and dirt and darkness that is in this world. And that's not the world that God had planned and created for us. And part of that is just us humans just messing it up. Mm, (laughs) Part of that is the dark forces coming in and trying to mess things up. And yes, God is powerful. Yes, God can make things change and make things happen and go his way. Um, But to protect myself and my faith, which brings me so much comfort, in the midst of all this darkness that's in the world, I just have to believe that there are times when God is grieving with us and that God is crying with us and that saying things like God needed another angel. No, he did not. God can make his own angels. You know, he didn't need to take yours. Mm -hmm. God's crying with you. Mm -hmm. He's he's maybe he's holding your baby, but he's holding it with tears in his eyes for you, you know, the great physician has intervened and we can trust his judgment. I mean, that is just not how I choose to see my God. That's very powerful. Very true. And I think that that brings up, you know, a spiritual aspect of it that may differ from person to person, from, you know, denomination to denomination and faith to faith. I think sometimes Christianity has a hard time um, just sitting with sadness in any form. We want to be so quick to turn the uh, conversation back to um, God's plan that we skip over the part where somebody is hurting and somebody's experiencing something that's deeply heartbreaking. And like you said, that God is with us in those moments. It's actually kind of perfect that we're talking about that this time of year, because one of the key ideas of the Advent season is acknowledging the darkness of life and how Jesus came in to bring light to the darkness. And so that's another reason what kind of why we're talking about that this time of year. The holidays are a time of year that can be very difficult, regardless of what kind of loss you've experienced or what kind of grief you're walking through. I think Rebecca makes a great point that sometimes just checking in, just saying something, you know, just checking in and saying, you know, I, I know this would have, this was, this is the first holiday without this person. This would have been the first holiday when you thought you were going to be doing this and you're not just acknowledging it, I think is so powerful. We wanted to reach out and talk to a couple of people about their ideas on how to work through grief and loss in the holidays. The first person we're going to talk to is Dr. Margaret Rutherford. She is a practicing psychologist who has talked through grief and loss with many people through her 20 years of private practice. And she has some really great insights on how to deal with grief during the holiday season. Well, Dr. Margaret, thank you so much for taking the time to come on Sorta Awesome and talk about some of these issues surrounding grief with us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much. We have been talking about grief in a personal sense. We've been talking about practical ways to support someone going through the grieving process. We've been talking about emotional support. It is, of course, December. And so with the holidays here, many people who have experienced loss either recently or maybe years ago are experiencing that weight of grief right now. And I was just wondering if you had some insights that you could share with us about how to navigate those feelings of grief and loss through the holiday season when everyone around you, it seems, is cheerful and peppy and, and, you know, enjoying the season. Yes. Well, seems is the most important word there in that sentence, because you're exactly right. So many people uh, have 
huge expectations of themselves and actually try to contain or the psychology easy word for it is compartmentalize whatever pain they have, put it up on a shelf and say, I'm going to get back to it in January. Sure. But the issue here, I think, with grief is that in the, in the holidays is that the holidays are a marker. They're a marker of time. You know, if I asked you, what did you do last February the 17th with your mom? Right. You could tell me what you did February the 17th with your mom. Right. But if I said, what did you do with your mom at Christmas or at the holidays? You would remember. So if you've lost your mom or you've gotten divorced or you've been estranged from your best friend or whatever the loss is, then... Uh, or maybe you you were at a job you loved and you got fired. I mean, whatever the the loss is that you're grieving, the holidays you you have these very distinct memories of of what happened. Were you with family? Were you not with family? What was going on at that time? And and we use things like birthdays, anniversaries, holidays to sort of assess where we are in life. So when you're actively grieving something at the holidays, then then it's, it makes the loss more poignant because you're actually thinking of back a year. Mm, right. Um, you're you're both you're both embracing and maybe thinking, or maybe it was terrible last year, <laughs> you know. But you're it's like you're, you're both living in the past and in the present. You have a lot going on there, and you're in trying to stay in the present and 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 make that meaningful for you somehow is tough. It also depends, I think, Megan, on how acute the loss is, Um, meaning did it happen last month? Did it happen uh, a year ago? Uh, Where you are in the stage of grief yourself, if you're still very angry, you know, the stages of grief, you know, denial, uh, sadness, anger, uh, bargaining, and then acceptance. And so if you're in that angry stage and somebody says, happy holidays, (laughs) you know, it's it's not, it's going to, or even if you're sad, I mean, it's going to rub you the wrong way. It's sure. going to be very difficult to feel like the black sheep and a bunch of white sheep. So yes. have to decide, okay, I'm going to understand what stage of grief I'm in, mm. partake in the holidays, however I feel is best for me, and and really connect with the people who can tolerate the idea that I'm still grieving. Oh, that's you so know, important. I, I had a friend whose husband died suddenly last April, very, very suddenly, and she shared Thanksgiving with us, as as they typically did every year, and she said, um, you know, I just must be a bummer having me here, Mm. and I said, absolutely not. It is, we wouldn't want you anywhere else, and so she would cry every now and then and have a hard time, but, you know, we could tolerate that, and there's some people can't. There's some people who they get very scared that grief lasts as long as it does. And especially if you if you're going to be sad on on when you're celebrating Hanukkah or Christmas or whatever, it's they find that difficult. They mm-hmm. want you to cheer up and get over it. Right. But there are people who can. And if you really look for those people, then they'll even help you maybe create some rituals yourself that will help you get through the holiday. <laughs> I think that's so important. And I think that trying to navigate your own loss and grief during the holidays, that's taxing enough as it is, let alone trying to manage somebody else's, you know, expectations of you, like you said, them wanting to you to cheer up or just kind of snap out of it and just enjoy Christmas could be really difficult. It is in any context. If I know one thing about uh, grief or trauma, um, and I see this over and over again, that a trauma will happen or a loss will happen. And, you know, the hardest thing for the victim of that trauma is the fact that other people's lives go on as normal. Mm. The loss even becomes, fades for them. And it, it fades much, much, much more slowly for you if it fades at all. Mm. So when you're grieving, uh, again, recognizing that there are people who simply that scares them. Mm-hmm. Let's say your boyfriend broke up with you or you lost your job. Something happened this year that you're grieving. People, unfortunately, stay away from that. They don't want to think that their lives can also get out of control. Oh, that makes so, so much sense. They, yeah. they will back up and and they will withdraw or they'll stop asking or whatever. There are people who can hang in there with you. They're usually people who have had losses in their own lives and understand that it takes a lot of time. Mm. Um, 
So I would definitely connect with those people. I would simplify the holiday. Um, it's if people don't understand, then that's really their issue. Really, their issue. You just have to leave it with them. I love that. That's so empowering. I think that there's a lot about grief and loss that feels like it's happening to you. But to be able yes, to exactly. assert yourself and say, I get to choose what the holidays look like as I'm going mm-hmm. through this, I think can be really empowering. And I hope there's a lot of freedom for people in hearing that. Back in 2007, my mother passed away on December the 17th and my father on Christmas Eve. Oh they were in their 80s, but we did not expect my mother's death at all and but my father was very ill mm. so I have some personal experience of what it's like and, and when my brothers called Christmas Eve to tell me about my dad you know I just was kind of numb at that point but I had all this food fixed for Christmas mm. because I had people coming and I had decided that I it would really be meaningful for me even if I were grieving my mom it would truly be meaningful for me to serve my friends and my husband's family I simplified, mm-hmm. but yes. and but then when I got the news about my dad, I was like, can I really do this? So I gave myself the same permission that I gave my friend at Thanksgiving. I said, if I cry, if I have to leave the table, if I have too many glasses of wine, <laughs> right? <laughs> whatever it is, I'm like, okay, I'm j- I've just got to walk through the day and get through the day. Uh, But I had a 13-year-old son at the time, and it was his Christmas, too. So I did what I could that would be meaningful for me and, and honored my grief all at the same time. I love that. That's so powerful. Well, this is just a little snippet of the insights into healthy approaches to living from you, Dr. Margaret, that that we are getting a little taste of today. I know you have a presence online where awesomes, if you're listening, if you'd like to hear more words of wisdom and words of comfort and direction from Dr. Margaret, uh, I know you're going to want to check her out. So remind us where we can find you online. And also, I know you have a brand new podcast as well. So tell us a little bit about that. I'm five episodes into a podcast and I'm just loving it. The podcast is Self Work with Dr. Margaret Rutherford. Very, you know, it's self work. It's one word and it's on iTunes. It's on Stitcher. Uh, You also can come to my website. They're, of course, on my website as well. And that has the original name of DrMargaretRutherford.com. Okay. Um, So I would love you. uh, You're awesomes. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) I want to say hello. Um, I'd love to have you read my blogs. I blog weekly there. I started in 2012. So I started writing about things, mental health things, mostly relationship problems and, and depression, anxiety, sexual abuse, trauma, grief. So anyway, um, so there are two places. I'm on Twitter. I'm on all the other places that you can be. But, you know, those are my main things uh, as far as the website and my podcast. Okay. Well, thank you again so much for taking this time with us today. Sure. Thank you, Megan. Happy holidays. Okay, we are so grateful that Dr. Rutherford was able to take the time to speak to us about grief during the holidays. I also wanted to invite Abby Norman, who is a member of the Awesome Community. She's also a seminary student who is putting together this year a Blue Christmas service. And I wanted to hear a little bit from Abby about what a Blue Christmas service is and how it can reach out to people who are working through some kind of sadness during the holiday season. This year... I approached the pastor that I'm on staff with at the church and asked if I could do a blue Christmas service or a longest night service. Traditionally, it's done on the winter solstice, which is the longest night of the year. And it's just a space to give to people to say, this is hard. This thing that you're going through is really hard And everybody being so happy and thrilled and excited makes it even harder. Advent is the four weeks prior to Christmas. And Advent is really about leaning in to the sadness and understanding that the world is broken and that people are weary of waiting. And I think Christmas is a beautiful season, but it doesn't leave a lot of room for admitting how hard it can be to live in a world where sad things happen and to celebrate 
a savior and say that he has come and everything is warm and fuzzy when it doesn't feel warm and fuzzy. Sometimes I think the kind of hope that we celebrate at Christmas is really cheap. And I think in order to get to true joy and hope and celebration of love, we really need to honor the dark spaces in our life. The longest night service is really connected to my big ideas about what the church is for and how we should go about worshiping and who we need to be um, in our society. Our society has so little space for grief. It has little space for people saying, I'm having a hard time. And it has almost no space for doing that collectively. People feel so lonely. Like everyone else is celebrating and is loving things and it's perfect. And I am sad and this is hard for me, but I can't say that because I don't want to dump a bunch of ashes all over their glitter. This is a space to say there's room for the ashes too. And maybe we need them. Okay, well, thank you again, Abby, for coming on and sharing those thoughts with us. We know that you all have lots to say about grief because grief and loss are something that impacts all of us as we journey together through our lives on this earth. So we would love to follow up this conversation with you on social media. Rebecca, remind us where we can find you all around the web. You can find me at simplyrebecca.com. And then I'm also on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at simplyrebecca. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sorta Awesome Meg. The show is on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show. And you can always find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Sorta Awesome. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll see y'all next time. Sorta Awesome was created by me, Megan Teets, and is produced each week in collaboration with Kelly Gordon, Rebecca Hoffert, and Laura Tremaine. Visit us on the web at SortaAwesomeShow.com, where you can sign up for the show's newsletter, connect with the Sorta Awesome community, and find show notes for each episode of Sorta Awesome. Music is provided by the band Prager. Find out more at progermusic.com. We'll meet you back here next time as we discover, explore, and discuss all the things that make life sorta amazingly awesome. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.